I'm Greg Boyd. I'm a teaching pastor here at Wilderness Church. Uh, I'm not actually, not actually preaching this morning. I'll be introducing our speaker here in a moment. I just want to set it up by saying this. It's been an interesting week, don't you think? Yeah. Isn't that special? <laughs> Wild, crazy, crazy times. And I had hoped that after this sad country western song that we've been calling a presidential campaign, I thought that when that came to an end, uh, the, the judgments would at least alleviate a little bit, but they've intensified. And we are just in a sea of judgments right now, and animosity and just a venomous, hateful environment. And we must not let ourselves get sucked into it. I was listening uh, to a person on, on the radio this last week, and uh, this person was saying, uh, in noting some of the terrible things that are going on in America right now, uh, just these racist acts and hateful things that are being said and done. And this person said, well, you know, um, whoever voted for Trump, it was a vote for racism and xenophobia and misogyny, so they're getting what they voted for. Hope you're happy. I have to decide that's exactly the kind of rhetoric we don't need right now. You know, the thing, it's true of every presidential election, but certainly true of this one that, uh, you know, all the candidates came with a lot of baggage. And, and it's, it, people had to assess. Well, you know, there's that negative there, but then do the positives, are there more positives here than for the other candidate? And people assess that differently. And we're called to believe all things and hope all things because that's what love does. That's what Paul says. And so we believe the best and hope the best. Whatever side the other, uh, the other, other, side, the other person's on, whatever side you're on, you believe that they vote with the best of intentions. And, and so we just can't get drawn into that kind of either or us versus them thinking because it's never us versus them it's us for them as we we're just saying amen that's the kingdom mindset the kingdom isn't us without a them and so uh, uh, we have to take great care not to be sucked into this but the reality is that um, this week has become America has become a darker place this week a, a less welcoming place less inclusive place than it was before and I hope it's a temporary thing but we don't know but right now I mean, there, there's some things going on in our schools that are just tragic. At Maple Grove, they had racial graffiti. Uh, some people wrote gra racial graffiti around the, the, the school. Uh, I know some folks here at Wilderness Church who have, uh, their children went to school and their peers, second grade, telling them that you can't use our bathrooms now because Trump is president. Or now it's time for you to go back home. You're going to be deported. And, and uh, folks having racial slurs thrown at them as cars drive by. Poor Muslim folks being told, now it's time for you to get out. You don't belong here anymore. And it's just, it's just, uh, it's tragic. Um, and this is the time where, you know, the church should always be doing this, but now more than ever. And Paul said that where sin abounds, grace doesn't much more abound. And we've got to live that out, man. If, if, if there's sin and evil and racial stuff going on around us, let's just abound with the opposite. Let's just overflow with the opposite. Let's smother it by loving. Smother it with grace and mercy. And hospitality, and I encourage us to go out of our way to folks who maybe are feeling real vulnerable right now to, to welcome them and, and befriend them and to love on them because uh, there's too much of the opposite going around. Uh, this was decided months ago, and I'm just so grateful that it, it has turned out this way, that this morning, as we're coming to the last two sermons in this kingdom series that we're doing, we're talking about no fear. No fear. And... Uh, 
It was decided months ago that Dennis Edwards, who's the pastor of Sanctuary Covenant Church in Minneapolis, we're developing a relationship with them. And uh, Dennis has been uh, increasingly just a friend that I've come to love. And his wonderful wife, Susan, is here. And um, uh, he's going to be pre preaching on no fear this morning. And see, he's African-American, and I am, you may have noticed, white. And it's one thing for me to preach on no fear, because I don't have, as a white guy, that much to fear. But for Dennis Edwards to come up here as an African-American, he's in that vulnerable category. And it means something very different for him to preach on no fear. And I just thank God it turned out this way. So would you please give a very warm Woodland Hills welcome to Dennis Edwards. Coming up here, Dennis. Love you, brother. You preach. Be free, man. Hey. Well, good morning. It really is a privilege to be with you, and I already noticed that there were a few uh, sanctuary folks that snuck out over here, and I'm really glad that you, that you made it and show your love and support. I want to thank you all. I, um, I have been appreciating my relationship with Pastor Greg over the last, well, I came to Minneapolis in 2012, so it's just been a little over four years, and we've gotten to know each other a bit. But I want to say thank you to Woodland Hills for your support in even getting the sanctuary started. We've just turned 13 years old. We, yeah, amen. And um, you were one of the churches that uh, helped to get things going with, uh, with Pastor Ephraim, our founding pastor. And now we are, I didn't um, bring any pictures or anything, but we're at a place where we are, um, break, we have broken ground for our own facility, which is long time coming, amen. Yeah. We praise the Lord. We are, we're so grateful for that because, well, you know the setup takedown story and how that gets old after a while. But we're meeting in North High School, which is great, but we're um, building right on West Broadway. So we're very excited for that. Yeah. Amen. So, yeah, we appreciate your prayers for us as we continue. Also, as you were noting the movie Poverty, Inc., we've been advertising as well because we'll be joining you, or many of us will be joining you on that 21st. We're trying to find more ways for our churches to connect together. Uh, we believe that God has called us uniquely, I think, for, for such a time as this, that our churches that believe in peace and justice and the word of God would be um, at the forefront of whatever movement God is doing. We'll be there to, to be uh, uh, champions for what God is doing because that's more important than what's happening any other place because we want to catch up to what God's doing and be his agents in this world. So I think we're going to be able to do some things together. I look forward to that. Well, let me uh, offer a word of prayer as we get into the word today. Lord, we give you thanks because you're good. Your mercies endure forever. And Lord, I thank you for this privilege that I have of sharing uh, from the scriptures here at Woodland Hills. Thank you for the wonderful ministry of this church and for Pastor Greg. I thank you, Lord God, that, um, that we've connected the sanctuary in Woodland Hills, and I, and I pray, Lord God, that you would speak now. Lord, help me to communicate through uh, who I am, my humanness, my limitations, my idiosyncrasies, that there would never be a distraction for the truth of your word going forward. So I pray that you'd use me in my uh, totality to, to speak your words that you've given and words of life. Lord, let your wonderful words of life speak to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would superintend by your spirit that this time would be one where we've encountered you and that we could say as we walk away that truly uh, your presence was here today. So we ask, Lord, for your will and purposes to be done. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Greg has already talked about it. We've gone through some changes this week. And when we were planning on this, this pulpit swap, um, and Pastor Greg preached back at our place in uh, March, one service, Thank <laughs> you. 
<laughs> I, I was just looking for a calendar date that could work in the fall, and then, then it, hit, it hit us later, and he said to me, you know you're going to be preaching the first Sunday after the election. I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting, perhaps. <laughs> well, change can be frightening. I mean, anytime you embark on a territory that's new or a road that's different, it's, it's not surprising to, that we find ourselves encountering people in situations that, that would make us nervous and the adrenaline starts pumping and we have that fight or flight response, you know, where we, where we just don't know what to do, but we're, we're ready for action. And this happens with professing Christians too. I mean, there was a lot of anxiety we've already noted. I mean, on the one hand, there were Christians who were really fearful of, of what a Hillary Clinton presidency would mean. And then... There were also many people afraid, and particularly a lot of people of color, who are afraid of what a Trump presidency would mean. Because there's been racism that has tainted the American landscape since the beginning. Now, for example, <clears throat> I saw a legitimate article, I say legit because, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, a legitimate article that listed the 10 most racist states in the USA. Now, I don't think it's helpful to kind of start chronicling that. However, I do want to show you a picture of a part of the USA that, um, that's been interesting in that this picture of this part of the country, which is commonly called the Bible Belt, is sort of ironic because I mentioned in the context of change that sometimes places that are the most reluctant to change, and that would include perhaps even as this list said, most racist places, this, the irony is that these places are sometimes the most religious places. And some people have wondered why. I remember when I was a kid back in the 70s, people would call you know, Christianity the white man's religion, and a lot of black folks didn't want to be bothered. I mean, you think about it. It's a part of the country where some of the ugliest things have happened. Lynchings, Jim Crow, discrimination of all sorts. Yet it's the same place where the Bible is often held up. We call it the Bible Belt. So... Of course there's people who are going to be fearful of change. We've got to be uncomfortable because not all change is good. I mean, there's some things that disturb and frighten us, and sometimes fear is an appropriate response to danger. I mean, I'm not an experienced camper. I'm a New York City guy. So I grew up in New York and then ministered for years in Washington, D.C. And if we go camping, you had better be experienced because I'm not the one that's going to be experienced. And if there's bears, then we're actually probably not going camping because <laughs> I don't... That would make me afraid. So today we are actually are going to talk about fear, and more specifically about faith and how faith conquers fear. I want to put fear into proper perspective for us today. I, I want us to be encouraged from God's word. God wants us to take another look at the person who is the only person that can help us to deal with our fears, even as we approach a, a new season in our country. Um, there's one person that we look to. It's not the person in the Oval Office. It's not the person who sits in any uh, legislative seat. There's only one person that we can look to for the future, and that person is, oh, I thought you were gonna say Jesus because <laughs> it's a church. I figured we were gonna say Jesus. So maybe there's some ambiguity over this, you know. <laughs> Actually, the person we look to is Superman because Superman, you know, solves all the problems. At least that's what I thought when I was a kid. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. That strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. 
It's Superman who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel with his bare hands, and who disguises Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, <laughs> fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. So now, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had a hero. We had a hero in Superman, but he's not the one I'm preaching about today. Our real hero, of course, is Jesus. Amen. Who is real? Jesus is greater than our fears. Jesus is greater than the messes that we get ourselves into or that our country could even be in. Jesus is greater than our economic problems, our health problems, our emotional struggles, whatever challenges that we face or that the devil throws at us. Jesus is more powerful than these things. And I want to encourage you in that today. I want to remind you of a few things today because the key to conquering our fears, even fears over what might be going on in our country, is to have faith, but not an abstract faith. A faith that's placed in the right object, a trustworthy object. Our faith is in Jesus. You can have faith in your plumber, but you don't trust your plumber to do surgery on your body, no matter how much you like your plumber. <laughs> and you're not going to trust any philosophy or idea that might claim to be good. We place our faith in the only one who has demonstrated that he's worthy of our trust. And that's the Lord Jesus. And how has he demonstrated? He's demonstrated that he's worthy of our trust because he lived and he died because the Father validated his ministry by raising him from the dead. The things we've been just singing about this morning, the resurrection of Jesus seals that deal. And for people who first heard the gospel according to Mark, where we're going to spend some time today, were our forebears who had suffered under unholy, unrighteous leadership. Nero was emperor. Most likely when Mark's audience first heard this letter being read, or this gospel being read. These were people who, who had to deal with a crazy emperor, who blamed the fire in 64 on the Christians, who used Christians to, to light his gardens by setting them on fire, who killed Peter and Paul, pillars of the early church, these are sisters and brothers who, who, who weren't just facing pressure from local religious leaders. They were feeling pressure from the whole Roman Empire. So imagine our early sisters and brothers needing to be reminded that they're not alone, needing to be encouraged and not be fearful. Imagine them needing a word that says, hold on, but hold on because you have Jesus. Jesus is more powerful than anyone or anything we might encounter. So we're going to start looking at the end of chapter 4 of Mark's gospel. And as we get there, I'm making the main point that Jesus is more powerful than even our greatest fears. As I've said that, and I'll say it a few times, to make sure that sinks in for us. And here it is, Mark chapter 4, where we start, verse 35. That day when evening came... He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves and wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You may have heard messages from that passage before or found some solace in it yourself. And often we go to the passage and, and we turn the wind and the waves into a metaphor. But before we get to the metaphorical of wind and waves, let's keep in mind they were actually wind and waves. That Jesus is actually more powerful than the forces of nature. He was there at creation. And I was in Kansas driving with a, with a brother, another pastor, who had also been a professor. He had taught out in Kansas. And so as we were going through, it kind of hit me. I'm coming from D.C., <clears throat> and I had never been in places that got tornadoes. So it's hitting me as we're on this big open road driving. I said, what happens if there's a tornado? I said, what are we supposed to do? He said, well, you pull over, you know, put the car down in the side of the road and get down in a ditch. I said, that's all? I, I, I said, that just doesn't sound, you know, like it's really going to help us very much. <clears throat> At least from what I've seen, excuse me, <clears throat> what I've seen about tornadoes on, in movies, I thought that's got, or, or, or on the news afterwards when everything got tossed, and I thought this is not good enough. And I thought, well, maybe he was just making this up so I would feel better. But I wasn't feeling better about just laying on the side of the road and hoping that we wouldn't get hurt. But I've become, you know, very aware of the forces in nature. You know, when you see the aftermath of a tornado or hear about an earthquake or a hurricane, those things kind of make me a little nervous. But Jesus has demonstrated that he's more powerful because he created these things. You know, I have four children, Susan and I, and when they were, they're grown now, adults, but when they were little, we could be traveling on the road, and they're making all kinds of noise in the minivan, and I turn around, be quiet, be still. And it kept on going. It didn't really have much effect. <laughs> you know what we do. I'm going to pull this car over. <laughs> We're going to go back. Yeah, we don't do all that stuff. But Jesus, by his word, can calm the wind and the waves. He says, quiet, be still. He's the master of the sea. Billows, his will obey. That's the kind of Lord that we serve. The one who has more power than even the, the, the forces of nature. He says to his disciples, why are you so cowardly? Don't you have faith? And sisters and brothers, there's a similar kind of question that comes to us now when we do look at the storms that might be metaphorical in our lives. Jesus says the same thing to us. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I know we encounter all kinds of struggles because our response is like the disciples initially. Don't you care? You know, Jesus sleeping on the cushion. We think he's, he don't care. Don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that my family's struggling? Don't you care that issues are, are alive in my life and in this world? Don't you care? And Jesus says back to us, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, after Jesus calms this literal storm and gets over to the other side of the water, they have another encounter that's recorded at the beginning of Mark chapter 5. We'll read just a little bit of it. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. That's an interesting story. We're not going to pull it all apart. But isn't this interesting? They encountered this crazy cemetery man, and when Jesus cast the demons out of him, they go into the pigs, and then the swine flew, and... About 2,000 pigs committed porcicide, and they just <laughs> went to their death. But isn't it kind of amazing how the devil is at work in so many strange ways? I, I, some of us have been involved in, in times of prayer for people who've been particularly oppressed or overwhelmed by evil. And I, I can... Remember situations, I, one time I just remember dealing with a young woman who was hearing voices and people came to me, their church didn't have a pastor at the time, people knew me, I came to uh, pray with them and I asked, you know, had she been to a doctor, had she been, and she had done all of that, gone to a, to a, a psychiatrist, all these things and the voices were telling her to kill herself and then she, she, but she told me that she had had, told us that she had had a roommate who was into Satanism and said, you know, the way you said you accepted Jesus, that's the way I've asked Satan into my life. She, she, she went, they went their separate ways, but for some strange reason, she don't know how the woman got her phone number, but she'd call her, harass her every night, tell her her family was going to die, and then she started hearing all these voices. So we spent some time in prayer for her, and it wasn't like the movies. Things didn't start swirling around the room or anything. But there was a powerful encounter. And when I saw her a little while later, even just her whole demeanor was different. She looked different. She was dressed differently. She, where she was wearing dark clothes and dark makeup and all kinds of stuff, she was now, in fact, I just bumped into her uh, unexpectedly. It was in the dentist's office, and she was working there, and I was surprised, and she just looked like a totally different person and was thanking me for the time we spent in prayer because her life had just been set free. Because, yeah, amen, amen. There's no reason to play, of course, with evil or the devil, but the people who, and then the people who saw this man, in some ways, they saw a transformation like I saw in that young woman. They, they, they were freaked out with Jesus and wanted him out of town. What's interesting is that in these stories, you're going to see or you are seeing how fear and faith are juxtaposed. They're next to each other. And then you find out that the appropriate response, of course, is one of faith and not one of fear. Because right in this passage, after Jesus has, has, has cast the demons out, it tells us in verse 15... When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid, afraid. The man had faith. He wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, stay there, and you spread the word about what happened to you. But they were afraid rather than having faith. 
But what I'm trying to say in this story is that Jesus is more powerful than the devil and his work. And we need to keep this in mind because, you know, so yeah, amen. Some people think they're too sophisticated to believe in the devil or in demons. And that's what the devil's counting on. And keep in mind that you know this here, because it's the kind of thing I know Pastor Greg teaches, that we don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And people are fearful in our country. I mean, we've been fearful for a long time, but, but some segment after September 11, 2001, you know, flying used to be fun. Now it's a hassle. You got to take, you know, so much clothes off and, 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 and you get uh, agitated having to wait through these lines. And, and then if you see somebody who doesn't look like you think they should look, somebody who looks Muslim or they have a Middle Eastern sounding name, people get all agitated. People are afraid of dark-skinned people. And then dark-skinned people, dark-skinned people, we get afraid that you're looking at us in a funny way. Evil isn't always so obvious. The devil is getting into this. I mean, Scripture tells us that Satan masquerades as, a, as an angel of light. And so, but so far, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is more powerful than the forces of nature, so we need not fear them. Jesus is more powerful than the devil and his minions, so we need not fear them. But there's much more, of course, to the drama that's going on here. When Jesus gets to the other side, he encounters a man named Jairus, which is told in the rest of that story in Mark chapter 5. And when he encounters this man named Jairus, Jairus says, my daughter is sick. Can you come with me? And Jesus agrees. So he makes his way. He starts to make his way to Jairus's house in the way that Mark tells the story. But as they start to go that way, we're now filled in on another drama that's happening at the same time. There's a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She spent all she had on doctors who could not cure her. She's unclean. She's hurting. But she has this idea that if I could just touch the clothing of Jesus, I will be well. Can you imagine this? She, 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 she probably you know, dresses up kind of so she can be incognito and make her way to Jesus. We don't know her name, but we can relate to her pain. We understand how frightening sickness can be. You know, Pastor Greg has joined in prayer for us because our oldest daughter has been fighting cancer. Um, she came to live with us last year. And it's, it's a very sobering, fearful time. But the woman, she makes it. She gets to Jesus' clothing, as the old King James says, the hem of his garment. And as she touches the hem of his garment, she's immediately made well. She can feel it in her body. It's old King Jesus. But she slips away because she wants to get out of there because, you know, she's been out of the house and, and, and breaking laws to get there. And Jesus says, power went out from me. Find the person. Now, is a crowd, it's told us. There was a crowd of people. I'm from New York. I'm used to riding on the subway in D.C. They have the metro system. I'm used to being on a crowded train. So I'm imagining what it was like with people jostling and trying to get close to Jesus. And he says, somebody touched me. And the disciples, well, Jesus, there's a crowd of people here. <laughs> but nevertheless, they're dispatched to go find the person who had touched the hem of Jesus' garment. So they go, and eventually they find the woman. But when she comes back, the text is interesting here. After they find her, it says in verse 
32, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It was faith that brought her to Jesus, allowed her to be healed. She needed to be secure in her whole being. Jesus pronounces shalom on her. He wants her to know his peace. She was afraid and, and freaking out about the whole experience. And Jesus speaks peace to her. Now, I'm not here to tell you that every disease will be healed on this side of glory. I don't understand all of how it works in God's, um, in God's grace and providence. But I can say Jesus knows all about our struggles. And he will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. If he doesn't heal now, he's already promised that one day the curse will be reversed and these corruptible bodies will put on incorruption. We will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So whether it's now or later, he's more powerful than any sickness. So Jesus is more powerful than the forces of nature. Jesus is more powerful than the devil and his minions. And Jesus has demonstrated that he's more powerful than any sickness. This is good news for people who've been struggling. This is good news for people who are facing persecution. This is good news for people whose government has been oppressive on them. And they're losing sisters and brothers who won't bend the knee to Caesar. This is good news that Jesus is more powerful than anything that they face. But there's another fear. There's another fear, and you can, you can see it coming. Because if I were in Jairus' shoes, that whole encounter would have been interesting, but it would have been a distraction. Because Jesus is supposed to be coming to my house. And instead, he stopped to deal with this woman. And, and if I'm Jairus, I don't know her backstory. I don't, I, and maybe I don't even care. Because my daughter's sick. So I can imagine myself tapping my feet, biting my nails. And you know, it's Minnesota, I'd be polite. Like, I wouldn't interrupt Jesus. You know, I would say, Jesus, you said you were coming to my house. Forget about this. You know, you're not going to do that. So you stand there like, please. And then, of course, the messengers come. It tells us in Mark chapter 5 still, right after Jesus spoke to the woman. In fact, right at the same time, Mark tells us in the drama of the story, verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking... Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing and ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Once again, fear versus faith. Jesus Gave Jairus a really quick pep talk. Brothers and sisters, maybe that's a word for us too. Don't be afraid. Believe. When Jesus arrives at the home of Jairus, you, you may know some of that story. When he arrives there, he says, she's sleeping. And they laugh at Jesus. So he puts everybody out except the parents and his inner circle of, of disciples. And he says to this little girl, who's the same age, or was alive as long as that woman had been bleeding, 12 years, he says to her, little girl, get up. She gets up, 
Jesus has done it. He has proven that he is more powerful than death itself. Than death itself. He's raised his little girl from the dead. Amen. More powerful than death. I, I lost my mother to, to, to cancer when I was 20. And, and she used to not go to church when, when she uh, and my father encouraged us little ones to go to church. My father would actually take us. And it was, you know, it was a different experience. We were in church all day. We had Sunday school for an hour and a half. We had a morning worship service for three hours. We had an afternoon service for a couple of hours. Then there was an evening service for another couple of hours. And some of you know what I'm talking about. It was all day church. Yeah. <laughs> all day church. But my mother didn't go. And we, when we got a little bit older, we would ask, well, how come you don't want to go? And, and then I started to find out she grew up in the same kind of church. And they had just pronounced self-righteous kind of judgmental things on her. See, she had been married before. She married my father. She had two sons. They were divorced. My, uh, that marriage was uh, ended. And she married my father and had five of us. So there were seven kids, but she had two different husbands. And they pretty much just shunned her. So she stopped going to church. And now here she was dying of cancer when I was 20. And by this time, I had gotten a little uh, growth in my spiritual life during my college years. And I said, well, I don't know where my mother is, so I'm going to share the good news with her. So we had conversations. I wrote her letters. And when I was home on breaks, we would talk. I remember one time, one of our conversations, I just asked her straight out, well, you believe in Jesus, right? She said, Dennis. So I couldn't have raised the seven of y'all if I didn't believe in Jesus. So <laughs> And now as a parent, I realize how true that is. <laughs> but when she died, the pastor, who didn't believe she was a Christian, he even said at her funeral that she died with more peace and less fear than people he's known who's been walking in Christ for a lot of years. There was something powerful about the way she approached death even. Sisters and brothers, we live in some difficult times, as we've said. And then I think about people who, my forebears, who faced the dogs, the hoses, the police officers billy clubs, knowing that physical harm and perhaps death could await them, yet many of them made a statement to the world because of their faith, even in the face of death. I'm not here to say we should be accepting of injustice in our world, or brutality or racism. I'm just saying that we need to have a longer view, maybe like those folks did, an eternal view. I have faith that says people will be awakened to injustice and treat people better. But, but I must also have faith that says even if that process takes longer than I think it should take, I need to trust God more than human beings. I need to trust. Yeah, amen. I need to trust that my body and my soul and all that I am is in the hands of God. And I know that faith is not always easy. It's supernatural, of course. It's faith. It's being sure of what we don't see. So the goal is faith, not fear. And you might say, well, hey, Dennis, this is not new. Of course it's not new. I came here to tell you what you know. I came here to tell you to hold on. I came here to tell you that faith is the right answer. It's like when you're a little kid, the right answer is always Jesus. They always tell that joke about the Sunday school teacher who lifted up the, the picture of an animal with a bushy tail and, 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 and eating a nut and asked the class, what is this? And they were hesitant. The little boy said, it looks like a squirrel, but I'll say Jesus. Because, <laughs> because Jesus is always the right answer. When you're an adult, faith is the right answer. So if you fall asleep in Bible study, 
and somebody calls on you and wants your opinion, you say, um, by faith. Because faith would be the right answer. And if they're still looking for a little more, you say, and with love. Because that would be the right answer too. Faith and love, these things work together. Now the thing about the faith and the love is that faith starts out small. Because we think it's gotta be big. Remember, remember, I'm telling you, it's not about the amount of faith right now, it's about the object of our faith. We're obsessed with big in this country. Big cars, big houses, bigger bank accounts, bigger sandwiches, bigger burgers. Well, everything about, I remember the first time I went to Costco, I was like, whoa, my goodness. And we got a membership card, I mean, many years ago, and we got big stuff to take home. It just seemed so, like, like I don't know what we were stocking up for. It just seemed like that's what you had to do. I remember I was doing this low-carb diet back then, too, and I just, so I was putting mayonnaise on stuff, so I bought this big old thing of mayonnaise. I think I had that thing of mayonnaise for like a year, because it was like, it was huge. How much mayonnaise do you need? And we have this notion that we got to get Costco-sized faith before we could do or, or think anything. Jesus said, it don't have to be that big. It could be as big as a what? A mustard seed. You could have mustard seed-sized faith, and it would move mountains, he says. Amen. Mustard seed-sized faith. We can, faith, we can start there, and we can have a peace that goes beyond understanding because we're trusting in a God who has shown himself through his son Jesus to be more, more powerful than everything that human beings are typically afraid of. The forces of nature, the forces of the devil and his, and his minions, the forces of sickness, and even death itself. And Jesus has demonstrated he's more powerful than any of those things. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our faith. He is worthy of us. We don't need to bend the knee to Caesar or to anybody, we bend the knee to Jesus because he's the only one worthy of our trust. Hallelujah. We have, we have so many things I know that we might be afraid of, and change is one of them. You know, but not all change is bad. When you have your first child, you know life will never be the same. <laughs> but that's a good thing because life is full of hope and possibilities. When you go to school or maybe return to school after you haven't been for a while or, or, or you start a new job or a new ministry, there's, it's natural to have a bit of anxiety. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is greater than our fears. And I know you know this. You've been dependent on that all your life as a believer. And if we're going to get through seasons of change and facing things that make us anxious, and I'm not saying that they, there's not good reason for it, what I am saying is that I need to believe that God wants to reinforce that it's never good to give in to fear. It will keep us from experiencing his shalom, his, his, his peace in its fullness. So instead of fear, we have to have faith. And faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see. Brothers and sisters, have faith in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And to be as practical as I can. I want to echo what our brother Greg, Pastor Greg, has said earlier about love. Because the road away from fear to faith is paved with love. The scriptures tell us that perfect love casts out fear. The one who fears is not per made perfect in love. So my final encouragement for us today is to follow our fearless leader, Jesus, in the way of love, in the way of love. 
perhaps we can spend more time calculating how to love instead of listing all of our fears. And if there's any word that I can leave you today, it's simply an old one, but a good one. Have no fear. Jesus is here. Amen. Amen. My hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ. On Christ. <laughs> on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Oh, Lord God, I thank you today for who you are, and I thank you for the work of your son, Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that I, I believe that whatever we encounter as a people, and even individually, while it may cause anxiety for a moment, I believe, Lord God, you want to meet us there and remind us that you're more powerful than all of the stuff that we face. And, and on a practical level, this means as I live my life of love, I cling to you supernaturally because I cannot trust in governments. I can't trust in infallible human beings. Not ultimately. My trust has to be in you. I pray, Lord God, that we at Woodland Hills, at the sanctuary, would continue to grow in our faith and in our love so we can be counter to this culture of fear and hate and anxiety. Help us to live in a way that that's a different way. Lord, I pray your blessings on this congregation. I pray, I pray your blessings on Pastor Greg as he speaks, as he writes, as he ministers, and you use him in a broad way, that you would continue to do that, Lord. Give him a freedom and opportunity to continue to be used by you in ministry. And I pray for this church that as they fellowship here in four walls, that, that the church is really so much more than that as we go out from four walls to be change agents of faith, love, hope in our world. So I pray, Lord, that you would encourage and bless these folks today. Let your will be done. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, my sisters and brothers, thank you so much for allowing me to be here uh, this weekend. I've really enjoyed my time with you, and, uh, and we look forward to more things we can do together. Let's stand together. And if there's somebody here who's in need of prayer, there, there are prayer workers on the sides here that'll be ready to meet with you, I believe. And if there's anybody here for any reason who has not started a journey with Jesus, uh, we're not here to, to beat you over the head with anything, but to offer you an invitation to say you can come to start a journey with Jesus today. And if you're curious about what that means, there'll be people here to talk with you about that as well. That you can embark on a journey of following Jesus, our fearless leader. And we extend that invitation to you. And now it's my privilege to offer a word of blessing to you all. May our Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord uh, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Lord smile on you and give you peace. Sisters and brothers, 
Let's go in peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.